This is Liren Baker, and welcome to the Kitchen Confidant Podcast. Today, we're chatting with Lisa Steele of Fresh Eggs Daily. Based in Maine, Lisa has been sharing advice to the backyard chicken keeping community for over a decade as an author, fifth generation chicken keeper, master gardener, and coop to kitchen cook. She recently published the Fresh Eggs Daily Cookbook, over 100 fabulous recipes to use eggs in unexpected ways. And her award-winning lifestyle show, Welcome to My Farm, will be airing nationwide on American public television this April. I am so excited to welcome Lisa to the podcast. Hi, Lisa. Hey, Lauren. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to meet you. You share so much information on all the different platforms. But before we begin, I always start by asking, what was the first thing that you remember cooking and about how old were you? I remember just cooking in general. My mom would push a stool up to the stove so I could stand there and stir the pot or whatever. But the the actual first thing that I remember was stuffing manicotti. Oh, that's a big job for a little kid. I guess, yeah, I don't know. I That was the first thing that um, I specifically remember cooking, and I just loved putting the stuffing in the manicotti shells. I'm sure I just used my hands. I'm sure it was a very messy procedure. But equally delicious. <laughs> yeah. And it was spinach. For some reason, my mom, she tried to feed us super healthy. So there was a lot of spinach mixed into that ricotta cheese. That sounds exactly what I tried to do this week. I did lasagna rolls, actually, and I put as much kale as I could in the ricotta as possible. Sneaky, sneaky. I know. Well, you got to do what you got to (laughs) do. Would you tell everyone a bit about yourself and what life looked like before you started Fresh Eggs Daily? Yes. For those who don't know me, I I sort of am jumping headfirst into the foodie culinary world with my new cookbook, which is super fun because I've been in the chicken world for so many years just talking about the chickens. So it's really exciting to be able to talk about the eggs instead. But (laughs) growing up with chickens and out in the country and we had a garden and we did eat a lot of fresh produce from the garden. It's something I grew up with, something I was familiar with. And right now, especially, I think There's never been a better time for people to think about raising and growing their own food, learning how to make things, you know, with all the shelves bare. As long as I can get ingredients, I'm not really worried about it. I can make my own bread. I can make, I mean, I can make jam if I really had to, you know, Mm -hmm. but I think that, I think the knowledge that you actually can feed your family with things that you grow or raise yourself or make yourself is, is a really comforting thought, especially today. Yeah, no. And I think that your experience comes at a time when people are embracing that again. People are gardening again. I have friends who have chickens. I I would love to have chickens, but I'm just afraid. (laughs) Well, you know, I just, I feel like we have our pets and that's enough. (laughs) But I I do think that it comes at a, a really great time. And you grew up on a farm, is that right? Right. In central Massachusetts, very, very rural, very similar to where we live now. And I didn't really love having chickens as a kid. You know, it, it oh, was just more irony. chores. It, it was, the baby chicks were super cute. My brother and I loved them and we would name them all and we would sit and watch them play in the cardboard box and all that. But once they went outside, we really weren't very interested at all. So as an adult, it's just so interesting because, especially before I started writing the books and really getting busy doing this sort of as a career, 
you know, I spent a lot of time with my chickens and they were so friendly and they loved to be petted and they were super soft and they all still do have names and everything. But as an adult, it's completely different because like you said, you were afraid, you know, you're responsible for keeping them alive and everything wants to eat chickens. So you're constantly worrying about predators and, you know, trying to keep them healthy. And it's just, it is a lot, you know, it's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. And I mean, this is almost like, well, you grew up on a farm, but this is a second career for you, correct? This was not what you went to school for. (laughs) I was an accountant, which I don't know what I was thinking exactly, because it's got to be the most boring profession on the planet. I apologize to any accountants listening, (laughs) but I mean, it's really, it appealed to me because I'm very, I guess I'm good with numbers, even though I don't like Sudoku or any of that, but you know, there's rules and it's very orderly and it all kind of makes sense. And there's one right answer and all that kind of stuff, which appealed to me. And it's interesting because I prefer baking to cooking. And I think that carries through because baking is all about measurements and ratios and exactness. And I feel more comfortable with that. Whereas cooking, it's sort of throw a little more in or throw a little less in. And, you know, although in life, I'm sort of free spirit, I guess, more so. When I'm working with food, I prefer the baking aspect because there is just one right formula. Like you have to follow that recipe for the most part. Yeah, I, I totally get that desire for order. Because <laughs> um, it, it, I feel that bakers have to have that um, affinity for preciseness. So mm-hmm. that makes complete sense. So yeah, um, that, I guess that totally translates. And you also spent a lot of time on your grandparents' farm growing up. So I'd love to know a little bit more about that and, and what that experience was like. I actually grew up across the street from my grandparents. When my parents got married, my grandparents sold them some of their land and bought my parents a house or built my parents a house. But as a kid, we just had a small flock, 4-H kind of hobby, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. I'm sure we ate our chickens. I don't really recall. <laughs> But I'm no sure we did. <laughs> we don't eat our chickens now, but I don't remember being traumatized or anything by it. But mm-hmm. my grandparents had a two-story, two-wing chicken barn. Like, I mean, I guess they were a commercial chicken farm, but mm-hmm. unlike the farms of today, the chickens weren't all in little teeny cages. You know, they had a huge yard out back, all fenced in, and the chickens were all out in the yard all day and everything. I don't know how many they had. I've asked my mom. And she said they had to have had several hundred, if not several thousand. Wow. And they would supply eggs and meat to their own diner, which they owned for a long time, but also to area restaurants. And during World War II, my grandfather actually was exempted. He and my grandmother you know, were just young newlyweds. He was exempted from the draft because they were raising chickens and they were supplying Ooh. meat and eggs you know, to the government and to other restaurants and everything, which is kind of neat. That's such an interesting exemption. I've never heard that before, but that makes complete sense. I know, that's actually a lot of farmers did get exemptions because they were growing and raising food and everything. Yeah. yeah, you can't just leave. Right. Right. Actually, I have such a huge respect for farmers because my husband's uncle had a dairy farm for many years. And I always am curious, like, do you ever get to take time off? Do you ever get to take a vacation? And, and when you do, who's, who's babysitting everybody? You know, that's a good question because my that was in central Massachusetts. And my mom, when she was young growing up, she and her brother and sister, my grandparents would take them to a cottage they owned on Cape Cod. And now I'm curious. I need to ask my mom who took care of the chickens. Yeah. <laughs> Who's feeding them? <laughs> I'm not really. I mean, maybe they had, I don't think they had 
farm workers. I'm pretty sure my grandparents just did it all themselves. But mm -hmm. yeah, I have to ask my mom that who took care of the chickens because you can't just up and leave for a week. That's not going to work. You have to plan. Yeah. <laughs> so I will never forget the very first time that I had a farm fresh egg. I was a grad student in the Midwest and a friend of mine, somehow she got her hands on some fresh eggs from another friend. And it was one of those life-changing moments. So for anyone who's listening who may have never had a farm fresh egg, can you please tell everybody what makes it so special and why is it so different? I think there is a huge difference. I sort of always compare it to a tomato. When you have a tomato right from the garden, sun ripened off of the vine, it's so different than that kind of pink mealy tomato you buy off season at the grocery store. There are some things I don't think it matters much, like a cucumber, an eggplant. I kind of feel like they are the same, whether they're store-bought or homegrown for the most yeah. part. But eggs, absolutely. A fresh egg is going to have a nice thick white. So when you drop it into that skillet, it's just going to stay there. If you take a really old egg and you drop it into a skillet, it just spreads over the whole pan. Mm -hmm. So the the white is going to be nice and thick and the yolk is also going to stand up really nicely because it's got a membrane around it that keeps it enclosed. And as the egg ages, that membrane sort of breaks down. So your egg is just going to end up flat on the pan. That's, and the yolk should yeah. be super bright orange. And what makes it that beautiful color? That's completely dependent on the hen's diet. And commercial farms have kind of realize that people really like those really orange yolks. Mm -hmm. So instead of feeding chickens just regular chicken feed that's going to kind of make a pale yolk, they add marigold or parsley or alfalfa or things to the what they're feeding the chickens. So you, you can artificially make the yolks a darker orange. Oh. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the chicken's being fed a healthier diet, but most of the things that make the yolk orange are healthy for them. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Almost like flamingos eating shrimp, it'll just make exactly them Exactly like that, yes. And if you do feed your chickens a lot of lobster or shrimp shells or things like that, the yolks sort of will get more pinkish than orange. Oh, that's so fascinating. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay, I have to really ask um, very quickly, white or brown, does it make a difference? Okay. It doesn't. It's just purely based on the breed of chicken. The The taste of the egg is going to be based 100% on how fresh the egg is and what that hen's diet is. Mm -hmm. So one food won't make an egg taste that way, but the complete diet is going to contribute to the overall taste of the egg. So if the chickens are out eating grass and weeds and herbs and flowers and bugs and all this kind of stuff, the egg is just going to have a better taste. Oh, wow. Okay. So I love your new book. I've been skimming through it. It's just like for a cook in general, I think it's going to be one of those go-to resources because you have so many tips and tricks, not just if you like eggs, because it's in everything that we do. I mean, I always say that if, right. you, can, if you can cook an egg, you can, you'll never go hungry. So can you tell us more about the recipes in your book and, and how this book came about? Yeah, I've been wanting to write a cookbook for a while. And I think it was the next natural step because I've written a bunch of books about raising chickens. I didn't really have anything more to say about that. Mm -hmm. But I definitely know there's a lot of people who follow me who have a lot of eggs. And when you have so many eggs because you have chickens, you start thinking of other ways to use them. So I really wanted the, the book to cover the basics and give people tips mm -hmm. for, you know, frying, poaching, scrambling, all that kind of stuff. But then also 
not only include some of my own favorites or family favorites, but recipes that really let the egg shine, like a creme brulee or mm. lemon curd, lemon meringue pie, pound cake. I mean, there are certain recipes that you absolutely cannot make without eggs. And I think those recipes really put eggs to good use. There's not a lot of ingredients in them. It's really all about the egg. So what are some of the more unexpected recipes in your book? The ones that I've been hearing feedback from, which is interesting. It's always interesting to me what when I'm talking to someone like this or mm-hmm. on the radio or just people commenting on social media, what stands out to people. The egg in the butternut squash rings. Yes, that stood out to me too. <laughs> it's a super pretty picture. And I love how the egg yolk is kind of the same color as the butternut squash. And it's a really great recipe if you're trying to cut down on red meat, but you want something that's a little heartier for dinner, or if you're having people over and someone's a vegetarian and you don't know what mm-hmm. to cook, but that's just a really great recipe. I love butternut squash anyway. But then Same. I think also some of the things like making your own marshmallows or even making your own Caesar salad dressing or hollandaise sauce. Those are things that people might not immediately think of. What stood out to me, there were two actually, um, one was sprinkles. Yeah. Because I did not know, to me, sprinkles is something you just buy. <laughs> and I didn't realize there's egg white and sprinkles, but that makes complete sense. So that was very fun. Those are super fun. What I like about them, I don't know what's in store-bought sprinkles. I assume it's a ton of chemicals because they last forever. But mm. yes, you can make your own sprinkles. And the fun part is that you can use like the plant-based food colorings, which I like to use in them, but you also can flavor them. So you can use a blackberry extract or an orange extract or almond extract. So each color sprinkle actually tastes differently. They're super easy to make. They just take a long time. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) It's a good project. I think the other one that stood out to me was um, the salt cured eggs. Because I think when you do that, it's just, it's beautiful. The yolks are just a gorgeous color and so versatile. So I was curious if you've actually ever tried um, salt brined eggs, like in the Philippines and in China, there's something called, on the Philippines, it's called itlog is egg. So itlog na maalat, so salty egg. But basically, it's very similar to a salt cured egg, except it's been brined okay. for a while, maybe a month, and then it's boiled. But I like the saltiness and the umami afterwards is very similar to a salt cured egg. So I was just curious if you've ever heard of it or tried it. I, I haven't. That's interesting. And I know that different cultures do have different ways of really keeping eggs to last a very, very long time. Obviously, it's a super important food in a lot of cultures. So there are different ways. There's also, you can um, lime, you know, like with pickling lime or yeah. uh, do that. And there's another method too that I think you can keep eggs for like two years. But I mean, for all practical purposes, I really just need to bridge the gap between say October and February when my chickens stop laying. Mm-hmm. So I don't need to be preserving eggs for like a thousand years like I know they <laughs> That's true. That's true. (laughs) I was just curious about your grandmother too. Like what kind of recipes did she share with you? And did any of them make it into the book? They did. Her absolute favorite was lemon meringue pie. She absolutely loved it, made it all the time. And after she got older and wasn't able to, or just didn't make anymore, my mom for her birthday every year would make her a lemon meringue pie. So that's 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 kind of neat. The one thing I actually remember my grandmother making the most 
which didn't make it into the book, but was mint jelly. She grew a ton of mint and she would make her own mint jelly. And then at Easter, we would have it with lamb. And I remember making mint jelly with her a lot. And I, I probably should have included it and just used it as a side for something just to squeeze it in there. Yeah, that's very pretty versatile. You could totally Mm -hmm. use that for it. That'll be your next book. (laughs) Yeah. She also made the braided, the pula bread, the finished braided bread. Oh, that's beautiful. She made that a lot. That was something that, you know, for holidays, it would always be there for Easter. Oh, wow. Okay. So you offer a lot of tips and tricks in your book that I think every cook or baker should know when they're working with eggs. So can you share one or two with us? I think the biggest mistake that people make is not letting their eggs get to room temperature if the recipe calls for it. When you're adding a cold ingredient into a batter or a dough or something, it's going to seize up the fats and it's not going to incorporate as well. So I think that's really important. And eggs, because they cook so quickly, it's also important to really cook them slowly. And like if you're scrambling eggs, I see so many people just like break them into the pan and then kind of scramble them once they're in the pan, but they're already cooking. So you really should whisk your eggs really well if you're scrambling them and then pour them into your pan. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I also noticed that you really are a proponent of storing your eggs pointy side down. And I thought that was such an interesting tidbit of knowledge. So could you tell us why that's so important? It is really important. And if you go to the grocery store and buy a carton of eggs, they should all be pointy and down. But the reason for that is an egg yolk is centered in the middle of the egg with these protein strands that hold it in place. And that keeps the yolk centered. So if you're making, say, deviled eggs, if you're storing your eggs on their side, the yolk is going to rise off eventually. And then that's why when you cook an egg and you cut it in half, you have just like a little thin piece of white on one side, you know, because you cut too close and then it breaks and it's a disaster. So that's important. But the real, or I guess the more important reason is that as an egg ages, air gets in through the pores and moisture leaves the egg and an air sac starts to form at the blunt end of the egg. And the yolk is more susceptible to bacteria growing in it than the white is. Mm -hmm. So you really want to keep the egg pointy and down. So the yolk is away from that air sac because if the the air touches the yolk, you have a better chance of the egg getting contaminated and and all that. So that's really the reason. So it'll it'll hopefully last a little bit longer and Mm -hmm. stay fresh longer. Right. Speaking of freshness, okay, so when you go to Europe and you go to the farmer's markets, you'll see the eggs are just out there. They're not refrigerated. And I know there's a reason why we have to refrigerate them here. So can you tell us a bit more about that too? The United States is one of the few countries in the world where eggs have to be washed before they can be sold commercially. Most other places in the world, they don't. And it's really a shame that the United States enforces that because just before an egg is laid, there's an invisible coating put on the egg by the hen, and it's called the bloom or the cuticle. And what that invisible coating does is it covers up the pores in the eggshell. So that prevents the air and bacteria from getting into the egg. It prevents the moisture from being lost. And by washing an egg, you wash that coating off, which that's the egg's natural protection, really. It's your first line of defense to keep the egg fresh and to keep it safe to eat. So the United States requires that that be washed off. And that means the eggs have to be refrigerated because they're going to age so much faster and they don't have that protection. Mm-hmm. It's almost like washing off Neosporin off an injury. 
I don't understand it. (laughs) I don't understand it either. It it doesn't really make any sense. In most other countries, you're right, eggs are just sold in baskets or at markets. In this country, if you have your own chickens or you have a farm or you're selling your eggs at a farmer's market, different states have different laws. And some states, you do have to wash your eggs, even if you're a small scale seller. Others, they don't have to be. But if you do buy your eggs at a farmer's market or from a friend, just ask if they've been washed. And if they haven't been, you can store them out on the counter for several weeks at least. Mm-hmm. So if you are thinking about raising chickens, what would be your advice to the newbie and to encourage them? I would definitely say that it's something that's worthwhile doing. It's kind of a lot at the beginning to get set up and there's a little bit of expense with you know getting a chicken coop and all that. But once you've done that, it's definitely worth it. I would say check with your town or municipality first just to make sure and don't assume just because you live in the city you can't have chickens because a lot of urban areas and suburban areas are allowing chickens but just make sure you know what the laws are if there's a limit to how many you can have or you need a permit for your coop things like that and then do a little bit of research obviously i would say read my books and visit my blog but there's tons of places out there where you can find information State universities have really wonderful poultry science departments with a lot of good articles and just do some research and make sure that it's something that you're ready for. What's the craziest location? Have you heard of anybody doing raising chickens like in an apartment (laughs) or or anything (laughs) like nuts like that? To me, that sounds nuts. Maybe not. I know. Oh, some people do have house chickens, which I just can't get behind because really, I I do not want to be cleaning chicken diapers. That's not really on my list of fun (laughs) things to do. But no, I mean, I have people who follow me from Lapland, Alaska. I mean, people raise chickens everywhere. I have people from um, Pakistan and Bahrain. And I mean, just all over the world, people are are raising chickens. And it's kind of nice because, you know, they share pictures or talk about them or get excited because they got their first egg. And like that stuff is all just so universal. That is so cool. Okay. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure you name all your chickens. Yes. Okay. Do you have a favorite? I have to ask. Do. <laughs> uh, yes. So I, my favorite chicken, I guess, would I would say is Miranda. She is a Splash Morans. So she lays a dark brown egg. She's a French breed. She's white with sort of light gray splotches all over her. Super pretty. And she's really sweet. She, if I'm outside, she'll just follow around after me. She's just a really great chicken. Aww. Is she super vocal? <laughs> you know, she's not. She's really not. Oh. She's not one of my more talkative chickens. I have a couple of black australorps that are the chatty girls. But she's, she's not. Miranda is not much of a talker. Interesting. Okay. And then you also have ducks and geese. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Do they all get along? They do, pretty much. The, the geese kind of boss around everybody and the ducks sort of boss around the chickens. But yeah, the, the chickens and ducks live together. They share a house and a run and the geese do have their own little house, but they're all out in the yard right now. Everybody's all together. And they're just, just all, and mm-hmm. they all sleep together, right? I mean, wh- whenever you add new ones, there's a, a little bit of squabbling, but mm-hmm. yes, for the most part, they all get along. Wow. Okay. So what's next? You have your show that's going to be on American public television. Yes. So what has it been like shooting those episodes in Maine, which is a beautiful state. It was really fun. We shot 
there were two seasons that aired just here in Maine. And then for public television, they're sort of taking those 13 episodes and repackaging them into Mm -hmm. eight episodes. So for the first season, there'll be eight episodes starting April 1st and over 200 local public television stations across the country have picked up the show. I should have on my blog pretty soon, you know, one of those zip code searchers where you can put in your zip code and find out where and when it's airing and all that, because it will air at different times and days. But it's super exciting. I haven't even seen the new repackaged, you know, they did a new intro and they just pulled them all apart and put them together. And I'm excited to see what they came up with. But it should be fun because, you know, of course, they were available on YouTube, but only available on television in Maine up until now. Oh, that's so exciting. So I was just looking at the um, the episode list. And of course, one of the ones that stood out to me was the lobster episode, because I have such fond memories of going up to Maine for a lobster. So what is it like heading into the community and, and being able to to shoot and share other people's stories too? Everybody was super nice and super excited, even when it was just airing on NBC here in Maine, you know, I would yeah. contact the Christmas tree farm or the strawberry farm or the lobster pound, and they were all so nice, so accommodating. And then I let them know that the show was going to be airing nationwide. And of course, because Maine is such a tourist destination, I would mm-hmm. assume that it would help their business because people traveling to Maine might decide to go to that lobster pound or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, it was fun because I mean, well, lobster, I, I love lobster. I, eat it every occasion I can. (laughs) It's such a nice treat. When is the best time for a lobster in Maine? Is it October-ish or is it earlier? That's a really good question. I mean, I I feel like it's available all the time. The price Mm -hmm. just changes. So, Uh, you know, it's more expensive in the summer and then off season. We were getting it like at $6.99 or so, $99 a pound a few years ago. I think it's more now, but yeah, I think it's it's pretty much available year round, but the price just changes depending on availability, supply and demand and all that. Interesting. I cannot wait to get back to Maine one day. It's been way too long. Well, before I let you go, what is next for you? You have so much on your plate and do you have anything else exciting know. in the works? I don't know. Maybe. which means yes (laughs) yeah no right now I'm really just focusing I mean my cookbook just came out and it's been uh, a lot of PR for it and promotion like when any book comes out and this one's been different because it is a cookbook so there's more appeal from different communities not just Mm -hmm. the small chicken community so I've really just been wrapped up in that and just hoping that things open up and I can do some in-person book signings or appearances things like that would be fun yeah, some cooking demos too would be great. Yes, exactly. Well, before I let you go, I have just a few closing questions that I like to ask. What is something that you like to make when you're too tired to cook and you need an emergency go-to meal? Well, obviously it's <laughs> eggs. <laughs> really? I mean, probably scrambled eggs just because they're just fast and quick and you don't have to think about it. And I mean, the things that I put in eggs, because I'll just open the fridge and see I've got a little of this or a little of that or leftover this and just throw it all in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a good answer for everybody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What's the one recipe that you treasure the most? I mean, I got to say Eggs Benedict, which ended up on the cover, which I'm thrilled about because once you learn how to make your own hollandaise sauce, that's just my go-to. Like if I could only eat eggs one way the rest of my life, (laughs) it would be Eggs Benedict. Yeah. And it always has that wow factor. It's just everyone feels super special when you make eggs, Benny. Oh, mm-hmm. Do you ever make a lobster eggs, Benedict? 
you know, I haven't. And that was one of the things that I sort of was looking at recipes and they are out there. And I thought, well, maybe I would try it. I also wanted to make a lobster ice cream because Ooh. I've actually had that in Bar Harbor. Wow. And it's really good. It's like a vanilla ice cream with little chunks of frozen lobster in it. So you get like the sweet, salty. Yeah. But I, I just didn't have time. The deadline came up and I didn't have time to really play with recipes. But I, if I do write another cookbook, I would have to say that lobster probably will make an appearance oh in it. Oh, my gosh. Lobster mac and cheese. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of options. You have so many books inside you. It's <laughs> incredible. Um, are you a messy cook or a neat cook? Messy. <laughs> just ask my husband. Flour is my worst enemy. It it gets everywhere. Yeah. No matter how careful I am, it's just <laughs> it gets dusted everywhere. What is a good kitchen tip that you can share? I would say, which I kind of touched on before, but like read your recipe. And if the recipe says cold butter, use cold butter. If it says room temperature milk, use room temperature milk. Like ingredient temperatures matter almost mm -hmm. as much as the amounts. Agree, 1,000%. A lot of people just start plowing through a recipe without even reading it first. Really oh, and measure out. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan, and yeah. I think that's why I like baking so much, because it's just so relaxing to go through the recipe one by one, the ingredients, take it out, measure it, put it in a little cup or a dish, because that way, not only are you sure that you have all the ingredients before you start, but you know that you've added them all. Because, I mean, how many times have you been making something, and then you're like, did I actually put the baking soda in there or didn't I? And by going through and measuring out everything before you even start, you just alleviate that. And at the end, you should have used everything. And if there's anything left over, you've made a mistake. Right. Yeah, that is such a good point. Every week, I try to share five little things, something that made me smile during the week. Is there anything that made you smile this week? This is going to sound really weird. But yeah, I found this um, Instagram account that has guinea pigs. Aww. And they, they eat grass. <laughs> Are they just like, oh, mm -hmm. you're going to have to, you know what it is, what the handle oh, is. Yeah, I will. I'll have to send you with it. I mean, they have so, and they're all different colors and there are babies and big ones and they just eat grass and it's like, oh my gosh, that is the most random thing. But look, it just makes people happy. That is so cute. <laughs> well, I, I actually did a poll. I did an Instagram poll after that and I shared all my stories and I said, would you still follow me if I got rid of the chickens? And got guinea pigs instead. And like 58% of the people said no. And I was like, have you never seen a guinea pig eat a piece of grass? That's crazy. I think now you need to have some guinea pigs. I thought that was crazy. but And then you start sharing. I guess I'm going to stick world. with the chickens for now. <laughs> well, chickens are pretty cute. Well, Lisa, I really had fun talking to you. Where can people find you and your new book? Super easy. My blog is fresheggsdaily.com and I'm on pretty much all social media at Fresh Eggs Daily and my book is available on Amazon Barnes and Noble, your local library, your local bookstore. If they don't have it, they can order you a copy. So Perfect. it's pretty easy. Thank you. Good luck with the launch. Good luck with the show. Good luck with everything. I'm so excited to cook from your book. So thank you for spending time with me today. Thanks so much. I'm so glad you were able to join us on this episode of Kitchen Confidant. Thank you again to Lisa Steele for joining us. I'm really starting to consider if we have room in our backyard for a chicken coop. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate it and share it with a friend and join us again next time. Until then, happy cooking.